The Holy Gospel according to Mark, the first chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus and his disciples went to Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, he went to the synagogue and taught. All were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Just then, there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing the man and crying with a loud voice, ah, came out. They were amazed and kept asking one another, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. At once, his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. When we think of demons, we may be picture that poor girl, Carrie, with her head spinning around as she levitates above her bed. Maybe we chuckle a little bit nervously and we say, demons don't exist. You know, that's Hollywood. But demons do exist if the Bible is to be believed. Jesus certainly never questioned the reality of demons. And every once in a while, we encounter, I think, a depth of evil and the otherwise sane that makes it hard to come up with any other explanation. A Kansas serial killer raised in a normal family calls it Factor X and says Factor X came into his life and cohabited his soul and brain and drives him to kill again and again. Now, most demons, I think, are far less creepy than either of those things, but they're equally troublesome in our lives. In Jesus' day, they're described as casting somebody into a burning coals of a fire or causing somebody to frothe at the mouth or, or causing seizures or perhaps making somebody live in a cemetery out there in the tombs and the caves like a wild animal. Or maybe they caused people to jump off of a cliff. But they also damage our psyches, our bodies, our relationships, our ability to be productive or loving or happy. The unclean spirit, the demon, always seeks to destroy and to diminish life. Most days, though, I think they try to keep a low profile. Most of the time they blend in. In fact, they're so good at blending in in life that it's hard to see the unclean spirit as something separate from the man. The pronouns get all mixed up. He, the unclean spirit, and he, the man, are indistinguishable, and yet they're not one and the same. And the man needs help. 
When I was in seminary, one of the things we had to do was called CPE, that stood for Clinical Pastoral Education. It amounted to doing some work in the community. I, I worked in a shelter um, for women and children on the south side of Chicago, but once a week in the evening, I had to go to the CPE seminar for several hours, and it was basically group therapy, where we were expected to talk about our feelings and about what we were struggling with and to deconstruct our narratives about ourselves, and I just call it seminary hazing. There was a woman from Jamaica who would sit a couple of people over from me in this circle that we would form, you know, as we pour ourselves out there onto the carpet. And one day she looked over at me and she said, your trouble is you have a demon. And I'm sure my jaw dropped, right? It's not everybody day that somebody accuses you of being demon possessed. And then she went on, she goes, mm-hmm, I know, because I used to have one too. And then she said, uh, you need to get rid of that thing. I was stunned. I was offended. It was uncomplimentary. I couldn't see any way that could be a compliment to be told you have a demon. I kept waiting for somebody else in the group, one of the other like 18 people to speak up and say, oh my God, no, she doesn't have a demon. What are you talking about? But nobody did. They were silent. She talked about how unhappy her life had been when she had the demon. She says she cried all the time and she felt no joy. And what she described as she went on sounded to me like things we label as low self-esteem or insecurity or anxiety or depression. Her friends though told her she had a demon. They were at a movie theater with her and they told her she had a demon and that they needed to pray for it to leave her. And so the friends prayed fervently that this demon would be cast out of this Jamaican woman. And she said, and she said, I got sick to my stomach. I felt nauseous. I felt like I was going to vomit. So I ran into the ladies room of the movie theater. And she says, and there I did. I just vomited it right out onto the restroom floor. I'm taking this in. She said, it left me. I vomited out right there onto the tile floor. She said, and it looked like black slime. She said, I don't have the demon anymore. I am free. I'm happy. My life is very good. Then she says, you have more than one, I think. It made me mad, but I think she's right. I can be insecure and I have a demon that comes out in the winter and retreats when the sun shines bright. But I discounted her words and I discounted her experience as odd and simple-minded and superstitious. We tend to discount the first century words and experience also. I think we tend to think that Jesus and the disciples were just simple-minded and superstitious, not knowing what we know. Even though we say that we believe that Jesus is the embodied wisdom of God. 
We pride ourselves on our scientific knowledge and understanding. We know, they didn't know, but we know that the brain is just an organ like any other controlled by enzymes and chemicals. It can become diseased and treated medically, no demons. We throw drugs at everything, even though science shows that other remedies can sometimes be just as effective. High cholesterol, diabetes, even cancer, ah, lifestyle choices, they tell us. It's our own fault, the magazines say. If nothing else, we should get rid of our stress. We should manage our stress better. We should be stress-free since stress causes aging and immature, uh, immune disorders and free radicals and heart disease, ulcers, allergies, and just about everything. In other words, the modern mind tells us all disease is somehow our own fault. We caused it by something we did or something we failed to do. Someone's foaming at the mouth, well, obviously that's, that's poisoning or epilepsy. Someone falls into a fire, it's a brain-induced seizure. Someone speaks or behaves bizarrely, well, they're mentally ill. You know, we have a label for everything and everyone. But I think perhaps there was more humanity, more grace in the approach taken by Jesus's world. We talk about people being broken as though there is something fundamentally wrong within that individual. But if Jesus' neighbors were here, they would tell us the individual is, in essence, just fine, not broken or damaged at all. They would say the trouble is coming from something external to that person, something they had no power over, that which is seeking to destroy their lives they would say, you have a demon. The demon is causing us to appear and to behave less than we truly are. To do things that are contrary to our own best interest and life. And the demon will resist being expelled. It never wants to leave. It doesn't easily give up. We need help. And what the people of Capernaum quickly realized was that Jesus is the one who can help us. That Jesus is the one who can rescue us. And it's funny because before the people really get it, the demons already know that. The demons are terrified of Jesus every single time. The spirit knows who Jesus is. Supernatural beings always recognize who Jesus is. They're the only ones in the Gospel of Mark who recognize who Jesus is. They will say every time, Holy One of God. They will say, the Son of God or the Son of the Most High God. And while Jesus is teaching just then, there is in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebukes him, be silent, and come out. Most exorcists in Jesus' day 
were a little more flashy. They used some pizzazz. Usually there were threats towards the demon. It was ordered to leave. There were some words or incantation said over the person who was being released. There was the use of smoke and sprinklings of water. And they would ask for some sign so that you would know the demon had left. What one famous story tells about how the exorcist told the demon to knock over a vase on the way out. Then sure enough, a vase fell over in the room. Jesus once expelled an entire legion. That's a Roman army. An entire legion of demons from one man's heart. And the demons went into a herd of pigs and rushed over the side of a cliff. But today... Jesus doesn't need pizzazz. God has given him the authority over unclean spirits of every kind, and when he speaks, they instantly obey. Because Jesus is possessed too. Jesus is possessed of another spirit, the Holy Spirit of God. The same spirit which possesses us in our baptism and every day of our lives, a spirit greater than all other spirits. Jesus has invaded Satan's domain and seized control. He has come to take back the world, to cast out all evil so that we can live again. It's not a matter of our having faith. Jesus has come so that we might be delivered in spite of our lack of faith. We can be delivered out of our bondage by the one who has more power than a whole army of demons. Amen.